good morning to our loyal WFYL listeners around the world. Welcome back to your Philadelphia Friday, only on Fox News Radio. I want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in once again, because you still have the right to hear and the right to be heard. We're here with you on 1180 AM and broadcasting real time at 1180WFYL.com. Coming to you straight from the birthplace of liberty here in the greater Philadelphia area. And we continue to fight day in and day out as your voice of freedom in the Delaware Valley. I'm attorney Mike Giramita from Giramita Law Offices, but most of you know me as Mike G. And you're listening to Mike G in the morning with The Law Matters. And you can listen to our program every Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern, only on Fox News Radio, WFYL. So let's be heard. It is good to be back, ladies and gentlemen. Get that snowflake off the air. <laughs> I'm here in studio with Philly Chris on the street joining us once again. And we've got a heck of an episode in store for you today. But before we get into that, I want to remind our listeners to join in on the action, participate in the free and open exchange of thoughts and ideas throughout the entire week by logging on to the Mike G in the Morning social media profiles. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Mike G in the Morning. Our Twitter handle is at Radio Mike G. We've also got an instant gram screen name and our screen name on that instant gram is Mike G in the Morning. Check us out on YouTube as well. Mike G in the Morning. Like our videos and subscribe. We recently put something up about a pro-life woman I met standing outside of a Planned Parenthood clinic over in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Check it on out. So with that, I want to remind everybody about our powerhouse lineup here at Fox News Radio WFYL. We've got the Scott Adams Show. Weekdays, 9 a.m. until noon. We've got Ben Shapiro, intellectual giant, coming on weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Second Amendment advocate Dana Lash comes on weekdays at 1 p.m. right until Ben Shapiro. And finally, we've got Michael Savage bringing you the Savage Nation for two full hours, weekdays at 6 p.m. So don't forget to tune in and show him some love. And with that, you know what time it is. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. I want to jump right into it today. We've got a very special guest joining us by way of telephone. Once again, it's his second time appearing on this program. So, Russell, why don't you fire up that music? Ladies and gentlemen, it's time! We will be joined by the greatest of all time. He has fought for our Second Amendment rights for decades upon decades in New Jersey. He is the Michael Jordan of New Jersey gun law. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the great and powerful Evan F. Knappen. Evan, 
Stephen Knappen, thank you for joining us once again on Mike G in the Morning with The Law Matters. We appreciate you coming. My pleasure. So, Evan, we've got some big news in the gun world this week, not only with the Virginia rallies and all, but last week you and I filed a big lawsuit in federal court, didn't we? Yes, I'm happy to be uh, teaming up with you, and we're going to try to uh, see if we can get national reciprocity to come about despite the uh, stalling at the legislative level. So we've got a, cu- a couple of good law-abiding gun owners as our plaintiffs. We've got uh, Doug McDowell out of Georgia and Tom Muller out of Delaware. Why don't you tell listeners a little bit about the premise of this lawsuit? Yeah, what we're doing is we're arguing what is full faith and credit under the Constitution. And full faith and credit requires states to honor each other's uh, licenses and judgments, etc. And what makes this approach very, I think, unique and powerful is that both of our plaintiffs have carry licenses issued by courts, in other words, by judgment of a court. And New Jersey's carry license is issued by judgment of a court. All three have the issuing authorities, judges, and courts. So what we're saying is really classic full faith and credit that one court in another state has to recognize the acts of another court in another state. And additionally, we've gotten the certifications required under full faith and credit federal law for the recognition of the judgments. Right. And I think that's something that people might miss sometimes is that the Constitution is clear that Congress shall prescribe the manner in which these court documents need to be authenticated. And that's prescribed by way of federal statute, right? Right. So these are properly authenticated. And now we're going to ask the federal court to enforce the full faith and credit. And here we're dealing with a constitutional right, of course, the Second Amendment. And we're dealing with judgments from court certified and it's about time because new jersey recognizes no other state's license and that really has to end and once we can establish it in this case then we'll break open new jersey's stranglehold on carry licensing now, some of our more local listeners, whether they're in New Jersey or they're in some of the surrounding states, might be aware of how restrictive and oppressive their scheme is over there. But even as somebody who is licensed in New Jersey or who lives in New Jersey, I don't know that people who are further away, perhaps some of our Oklahoma, Texas listeners, understand really how difficult it is to get what they call a permit to carry in New Jersey. Why don't you tell listeners a little bit about that? It's virtually impossible for a civilian to get a carry license. In New Jersey is a state of over 10 million people and there's less than 600 carry licenses for civilians for the entire uh, state. Basically the holders for the most part are, you know, politicians and mobsters. That's it. Connected. (laughs) Short of that, you're not getting one. So it is because of their, uh, interpretation of the phrase justifiable need, it is used as a weapon to deny citizens their right to carry a handgun to defend themselves. So this is the game that New Jersey has put forward. And in passing their carry license law, they purposely wanted it to be by 
judges as opposed to an executive function thinking that that's even a harder bar for citizens. But I think that that is actually now going to be their greatest weakness because it'll give us the ability to make the strongest possible full face and credit argument. And once we win this, then states could make their licenses uh, judge issued like Georgia and uh, Delaware, or we may see other licensees bringing challenges and making other arguments to now expand the recognition. Because as you know, the case law is made incrementally and it's step by step by step. So this is the first step at a judicial solution to the current standstill on national reciprocity. And I think that's one thing that the people have to understand is that there is a bigger picture here when it comes to all this. It's not just about this one particular case. It's about a legal theory. And Evan, you've had some real horror stories when it comes to license to carry denials over New Jersey in the past, haven't you? Well, one of which is the Rogers case where our client actually does work on ATMs dealing with thousands and thousands of dollars in cash. And here's a total law-abiding guy with all this money uh, working on ATMs. And New Jersey says that isn't a justifiable need to be able to have a firearm to protect yourself. And that case is all the way at the Supreme Court. That was uh, pending now, kind of in the lineup of cases that are all waiting for the New York City case to be decided. And even with a you know win on the Rogers case, it still doesn't, on its face, uh, address reciprocity. Mm. So no matter what, this argument here in uh, our case will be of importance. And who knows what may happen with the New York case. And while we're battling this, that may very well become helpful in this case. The fact is... We have to be in the arena. We have to be fighting on these issues if we expect to get any progress whatsoever. And if we're not in there making the challenges, making the fights, making the arguments, then nothing is going to change. So we're in it and we're trying to get the change. And every little bit puts us closer and closer to restoring our God-given rights to defend ourselves with the most effective means, no matter where we are. And I think that hits it right on the head, though, doesn't it, Evan? When you talk about the right to defend yourself, the right to protect yourself, where in New Jersey it's on a need basis and they keep elevating that bar. Like perhaps if if Rogers had the same man following him around to each and every ATM with a gun, <laughs> then maybe they would have given him that, that permit to carry in that situation. It almost seems like they want they want to wait until it's too late. Now it's, here's the deal. New Jersey's case law, not even just including guns, but any weapon, the case law says you cannot preemptively arm yourself with any weapon mm. when leaving your home. So you can't preemptively arm yourself with a taser or a stun gun. You can't preemptively arm yourself with any tool of self-defense, not just a gun. And so New Jersey has... Is in essence decided that its citizens should be raped, murdered, or violently assaulted and never given a chance to actually defend themselves. 
Instead, New Jersey has decided that citizens, when they leave their home, are to be victims, not defenders. And we need to change that because none of us should be victims and we should be able to defend ourselves as a natural and fundamental right. And our founding fathers knew this, but New Jersey has created an entire system dedicated to thwarting that by way of all these legal obstacles that have purposely been created to make us victims. Evan, and really to just show the ridiculousness of what's going on over here, someone had a firearm, not even to protect themselves. Suppose they were going to the range from out of state. If they were outside of exemption, they'd be in a whole world of trouble, right? It doesn't matter in Jersey whether your gun is loaded or unloaded or any of that. If you're in any way outside of exemptions, which are quite narrow, then you're unlawfully in possession with no exemption to rely upon to make your conduct legal. Then you're simply looking at uh, large jail and or prison sentences for your unlawful possession of a firearm. And it doesn't matter whether it was even loaded or not, because mere possession of any firearm and and new jersey keep in mind includes antiques doesn't exclude them includes antiques as well new jersey even considers uh bb guns to be firearms we're talking about a state that makes literally makes possession of a slingshot (laughs) a felony yeah so as you say bart simpson and dennis the menace are, are felons over in new jersey right Absolutely, they are, and they're looking at 18 months in state's prison for possession of their slingshot. That's horrendous, and we've seen horror stories in the past, people like like Shanine Allen coming in from out of state and getting jammed up on mere possessory offenses, but even beyond the Second Amendment, beyond the right to to keep and bear arms and the right to self-protection, the fact of the matter is that this is a lawsuit that is really, I'd say, unique. It's unique because it's more about the government following the law than it is anything else. Now, it might have some other impacts on other areas of the law, and it might be a benefit in other respects. But the bottom line is that by law and under our Constitution, New Jersey has to honor these court documents, don't they? I I believe they do, and under our theories here, I believe it would be considered a case of first impression Mm. and we're trying to make the very best first impression by having a case that was carefully thought out to bring us as securely under full face and credit as could be done. And so that's where we're. So, so it does impact people even beyond, I'd say, uh, second amendment advocates, because if you're a person who believes that we have an interest in the government following the law, then you should be on our side. Wouldn't you say that's fair to say? I'd say it's absolutely fair to say. And a matter of fact, if you believe in the Constitution (laughs) and why we have it, and I mean as compared to the original Articles of Confederation that were not serving our country well, the reason we adopted the Constitution is at that time of the Articles of Confederation, states would not recognize each other's documents. It created chaos. And part of the basis for full faith and credit was to make us the quote united states not the disunified states and full faith and credit is part
part of what is the glue that holds us together as a United States. And so it's nothing less than seeing the enforcement of what makes us united. And that's what we're talking about here. Absolutely. Because if they could ignore court documents in this context, what says they couldn't ignore it in other contexts? Maybe you're not a Second Amendment advocate, but I think we could all agree that if the government's allowed to break the law anytime it thinks it's got a good idea or a good reason, then we're all in a lot of trouble. Evan, we've got our uh, correspondent on the street, Philly Chris, here with us. And Chris spends a, a lot of time in New Jersey being so close to the border over there. He's got a quick question for you. Hey, Evan, how you doing? Good to uh, talk to you. Um, Yeah, you know, I I was thinking about something. I was reviewing the lawsuit. And first, I wanted to say, you know, I commend you and Mike for spending your valuable time on such an important issue. And uh, I did notice on online, uh, there was a link to the article and folks can make contributions at the uh, gogetfunding.com to help support the the, uh, process that you're going through right now. But in addition to that, what else can folks do to, to support? this effort um what can regular citizens do to help Uh, i know it's a legal issue of course but are there things that the general public can do uh to help with this situation well as far as with our specific issue without a doubt um if anyone is willing to be generous enough to help us we appreciate it and uh the article that appeared is ammo land and you can just google ammo land and my name or mike's name either way it'll come up and we explain it there and as a link. But as far as what people can do generally is is very important that at a minimum, at a minimum, you belong to the gun rights groups that fight for gun rights. Because by belonging to the gun rights groups, we have power in numbers and it makes a big difference. Just look at uh, when we can unify as a movement uh, the kind of impact we can have, and it makes uh, the anti-gun politicians uh, very uh, nervous, and it also keeps our friends uh, in line and not stabbing us in the back. And we need to be unified and demonstrate our uh, vigor and dedication to our cause. So joining these groups is vital, and every Regardless of what groups you belong to, at a minimum, you need to belong to the NRA and you need to belong to your state NRA affiliate, meaning your state gun rights group. And this is not to say don't belong to any of the other groups, belong to them all. But you need to at least belong there. And look, I know that there's criticism of all the groups. Different people are, you know, have have their views on, you know, not liking this by NRA or that or whatever. And I get it. But like a family, we may have our internal disputes, but we got to stick together against our common enemy. And our common enemy are those that want to take our liberty and our rights. And that is critical. So be part of the movement and be part of the groups. It's vital. Yeah, that's great, Evan. Thank you so much for that information. I often talk to uh, law-abiding gun owners here in Pennsylvania and other states, and uh, they ask me what types of things they can do. So I appreciate uh, you sharing that wealth of knowledge that you have. Uh, You know, another thought I have, Evan, when you and Mike win the suit, because I'm sure you will, um, 
being a Pennsylvania resident myself, and there's a lot of folks here in Pennsylvania listening to the show, of course, uh, once that goes through, can folks go to Delaware and those other states you mentioned and get, um, you know, non-resident permit, for example, and then get it, be able to carry in in New Jersey? Well, since may, I, I'm not sure right off as to the requirements to get non-resident in those states, but there may very well be uh, states that have judicially issued licenses that have uh, non-resident ability. Maybe they do too. I, we haven't looked at that aspect, but okay, sure. uh, this is all, you know, if, if we can uh, get this established, which I believe we can, then it will change the game. It'll change the dynamic. And then I'm sure that we'll see states even on their own uh, modifying their laws if necessary to fit the case law and seeing expansion based on other challenges. So you'll see two-prong attempt at expansion. And, you know, if you want to understand how you get change, you could look at how incredible the job was in the civil rights movement. Right. I mean, they really did it incrementally and turned around a system of absolute discrimination to virtually uh, the flip side of it. I mean, sure. it, case by case by case, incremental advancement. And this is, uh, you know, you, we got to be patient and realize that you're not going to get a sweeping single case that solves all the problems. We do it incrementally, victory after victory. Right. And this is on the direct path to that victory. Yeah, there are pieces of uh, the puzzle along the way. Yeah, that's a great point. Thank you. You know, I often get questions, too, when I'm out talking to folks about, you know, uh, the state laws and the federal laws. And, and a lot of folks will ask me, how can state laws even trump the federal laws? Could you could you touch on that a little bit, Evan? Well, what happens here is the state laws don't necessarily trump the federal law. What you have is two different jurisdictions. And the federal law is, in effect, the minimum law for the country. Okay, sure. And then the states are given essentially carte blanche to pass whatever extreme gun laws they want to pass. Now, what limits the states in any way would be federal laws that are preemptive. Okay. Now, there are a few preemptive federal laws that can then punch through a state's unreasonable gun laws. And one of the most useful of those is the interstate transportation of firearms, what is under the Firearm Owner Protection Act, what is statutorily Title 18-926A that allows for interstate transport. And as long as you do it pursuant to the statute, you can go into jurisdictions that otherwise would prohibit you bringing the firearm through the state. That's an example of federal preemptive law. But if it's not a preemption, then the federal law is simply the minimum and the states have no maximum. And the maximum was always envisioned to be the Second Amendment. But 20,000 infringements later, we're trying to get the Second Amendment to do what it says because of the anti-gun decisions and lack of pro-gun decisions that existed prior to Heller. So we're on a path of restoration of putting the teeth back into the Second Amendment to be the cap on states going crazy with their gun laws. But until that happens, 
we have the dual jurisdiction of gun laws issue to have to wrestle with. Right. And Evan, they have the opportunity over in Congress to get national reciprocity done not too long ago, didn't they? Well, here's yes and no. They had the opportunity, but the problem is that although when the Republicans controlled the House, they passed it. And even though the Republicans had a majority in the Senate, they did not have enough senators to have cloture, which would require 60 senators, not just a simple majority. And without reaching cloture, the other side can shut down and stop under the filibuster rule the advancement of bills in the Senate. And that's what killed the national reciprocity, because President Trump would have signed it. The House passed it. But the Senate Democrats were able to kill it by invoking the 60 vote cloture filibuster rule. And we did not have 60 senators. Now, given 2020 and what's upcoming, when we can see the Trump landslide and retaking the House, and if we can get 60 or more senators that respect the Second Amendment, then we could pass national reciprocity and, frankly, any other pro-gun bill that we can want to see become law. But until then, that's what's stopping us. Isn't that a shame that we've got to search for politicians who respect our Second Amendment and respect our Constitution? I did want to circle back around, Evan. You mentioned being a part of these groups. And I do have to give a shout out to U.S. Law Shield here because they were very generous with their support, helping us get this thing off the ground. I want to give a big thank you to U.S. Law Shield. And I think that our our listeners should know that U.S. Law Shield has uh, been great for our Second Amendment rights. And uh, like you talked about earlier, contributions from the people will help with this kind of thing. Uh, It's going to be a hard-fought battle. There's no two ways about it. Uh, New Jersey is not going to roll over. And we need to get in there and fight. And and we're doing this to inch towards getting our God-given rights back in New Jersey. And I'll tell you what, what happens in New Jersey does not stay in New Jersey, as the great Anthony Calandro often says. Uh, So just like we saw people show up in Virginia on Monday because they care about their rights elsewhere, people need to show up in New Jersey for this lawsuit. If you can give a dollar, five dollars, whatever you can, I think it's very important for the cause. Don't you, Evan? Absolutely. And keep in mind that the biggest threat to our rights is Michael Bloomberg, without a doubt. Right. Because he is throwing literally $100 million or more into going after our Second Amendment rights. He's running anti-gun advertisements. He set up these uh, organizations, etc. And he has distorted the politics. The reason that the anti-gun Democrats are in control of Virginia can be largely credited to Michael Bloomberg. And keep in mind that the headquarters states for the national gun groups that are targeted by him, such as NRA, SAF, Citizens Committee, uh, GOA, etc., are housed in Washington State and Virginia. And those two states 
have been targeted heavily by him and are now facing anti-gun uh, action. This is all part of a plan by him with his obsession and hatred of us, and it should not be underestimated. This guy is the biggest threat to our rights that exist right now. Him. They've got plenty of money on that side, on that anti-gun side, to take our rights. They've got plenty of organization. That's one thing you've got to you've got to point out for what it is, is that they are very organized on that side. We've really got to do the same. And we've got to put up at this point. We've got to put our money where our mouth is. Evan, any parting words for our listeners? Just to uh, stay vigilant, be a participant. Don't stand on the sidelines. We need you in the fight. The fight is uh, is a tough fight, but we can win it. And truth is on our side. Well, thank Thanks. you so much for joining us. The great and powerful Evan Knappen, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> for those of us just tuning in, you're listening to Mike G in the morning with The Law Matters. Only on Fox News Radio. WFYL. I've got Philly Chris in studio with me here today. Chris, thank you for coming on in. Thanks for having me again, Mike. Good morning, everyone. We've got a lot to talk about today. We got the lawsuit out of the way. That's big in the Second Amendment world. Another thing that's been big in the Second Amendment world this week. So we saw the rally taking place down in Virginia. And I think something our listeners need to understand is that this is very important for people who value the right to protect yourself, to protect your loved ones. Because what we're seeing in Virginia is an effort to completely upend our Constitution. They essentially overnight went from a place that everybody thought was safe as far as gun rights go to a place that's become an absolute nightmare. No two ways about it. And I think the message here is that no place is safe. Pennsylvania, you are one election away from being Virginia. And if the laws proposed in Virginia go through, then they will essentially be New Jersey, period. They will be New Jersey. And if we have that one bad election here in Pennsylvania, that will be knocking on our door. You cannot get complacent. And if people do move in, we see this money come on in to try to influence elections. We cannot stand there and let them upend the Constitution. The Constitution is there to protect us from the government and protect our God-given rights. So that's when we got to stand up and fight. We see places like Pennsylvania. You think you're safe in Oklahoma? I know we have listeners sitting there listening to this program this morning in Oklahoma thinking that could never happen in my state. Then you better wake up if you're in Texas listening. If you're in places that are perceived as pro-gun, places that are perceived as places that value our Second Amendment, you have to understand this needs to be a wake-up call because you're next and we're next. Now, Chris, something we saw at the rallies this week, the, the, the media couldn't wait for something terrible to happen over there, right? Did yeah. you see that? Yeah, it was pretty interesting. And I was even surprised to see that a uh, state of emergency was declared for law-abiding gun owners showing up to voice their opinion. Yeah, they declared a state of emergency and they made all sorts of new rules to prohibit firearms on the Capitol grounds, things of that nature, because they said they had all, all these credible threats uh, that were bound to occur 
during this rally. Didn't turn out that way, did it, Chris? No, it seemed to go quite smoothly. And from what I, from what I've heard, it's only one person charged with a crime. You know, somebody who is wearing a mask in violation of the local laws over there wouldn't remove their mask. Probably an Antifa person, if you ask me, don't you think, Chris? Yeah, they like to wear those masks. I've talked to a couple of them in Philly, and oftentimes they have masks. But the law-abiding gun owners, they they peacefully protested. They made their voices heard. They showed up in droves. I knew a lot of people who were able to attend that day. And they went out there, and they just stood up for our Constitution. I think that's important, don't you, Chris? Yeah, I really do. And, uh, you know, I think it speaks volumes about how calm everything was. You know, um, I remember, and maybe you can verify this, Mike, but one time uh, when you and I were talking before, you told me that I believe folks who have uh, permits to carry in most states actually um, commit less crimes than even law enforcement. Is that right? That's true. Statistically speaking, uh, the folks who have a license to carry, who go through that process and they, they gain those credentials, they commit crimes at a lesser rate than even law enforcement officers. So this, this is a very low rate of crime. These are the most law-abiding citizens on the planet. And for people like you and I, who are involved in this community, have our thumb on the pulse of this community. It's no surprise to us that you can get thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people show up to this one area, all armed, all in support of the Second Amendment, and nothing bad happens. That is exactly what the gripe is of the law-abiding gun owner these days, is that they're peaceful people. They're people who don't intend to harm anybody, don't intend to commit any crimes. They only want an option to protect themselves and their loved ones, yet they're constantly being punished by these politicians, right? Anytime something bad happens, they take the brunt of it. The law-abiding gun owner who did nothing wrong has to pay the price. And that's why people get frustrated. Do you agree with that? Uh, You know, I do. And I was thinking about something on the way over to the drive to the station tonight. You know, Mike, uh, you know what a lot of the folks on TV and, and the folks at the protest remind me of? They remind me of Jack Wilson. Oh, yeah. That's who they remind me of because they're uh, trained and they're prepared to do the right thing at the right time. You know, they're not looking to cause problems. They're there to protect themselves and to protect their family. And and obviously, the uh, you know, if Jack Wilson wasn't at the church uh, during that shooting, things would have gone differently. Say that man's name again. It just occurred to me that some of our listeners might not even know who you're talking about. Yeah, that was the uh, the church shooting um, that took place uh, not too long ago where the gunman uh, actually shot a couple of people there in the church. I believe a couple of the security members and, and within six seconds, he was able to um, control the situation by uh, shooting the uh, perpetrator in the church. And it's my understanding the, the police did respond rather quickly within a couple minutes. But, you know, that's a lot longer than six seconds. That's 20 times as long. And having been around some critical situations myself and having been attacked before, uh, six seconds feels like an eternity. So Absolutely. I can't imagine what two minutes would feel like with somebody running around with a shotgun shooting at me. Absolutely. Quintessential good guy with a gun, right? And you heard people on the anti-gun side come out and say, oh, well, it doesn't count because he was former law enforcement. Bottom line is he is not a law enforcement officer right now, right? He was a he was a civilian who was armed. Exactly. And for, for some reason... People who aren't familiar with firearms, aren't a part of the community, seem to think that 
When law enforcement officers go through the academy, they're equipped with some kind of magic wand at the end, right? You've passed the academy. Here's your magic wand. And therefore, you could protect people in these high-stress situations. The bottom line is that law-abiding gun owners take the measures to go out there and get training, right, to prepare themselves for these types of situations. Uh, the, the polls show that the vast majority of people who own firearms in the United States own firearms for the purpose of protecting themselves and protecting their loved ones. So it stands to reason that if you have the intelligence that God gave geese, if you're going to own a firearm to protect yourself and your loved ones, right. you should be doing training, right? But to say that this training is unattainable for anybody who doesn't have a badge is frankly ridiculous. It makes no sense. Yeah, it really doesn't make any sense. You know, fortunately, I was exposed to firearms at a very young age and went through a NRA program at a Y camp. And, and I'm a strong believer and supporter, uh, as you know, Mike, of, of training. You know, it seems that uh, all of the studies that have been done, I've seen some things on like Dateline, NBC 2020. And, and oftentimes when they put these real guns that, you know, have the fire pins removed out in a, an environment where there's children, it's oftentimes almost always the children who have not had that formal training or experience who you know, might pick it up. So, uh, you know, and a lot of the folks I know. Not only pick it up, but do so in a very dangerous manner, right? Yeah, yeah, finger on the point. trigger, unsafe right. direction, where, whereas the, the kids who have been trained from a young age know not to do that stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, it really is unfortunate that, that those things take place. But, um, you know, I think you and I feel the same way. It probably should be part of our, our public school system and private school system, too. Why not? Yeah. Why not? That's a call back to Constable Steve, who called in on this program, really, because he was having a conversation with somebody who said, if you want to own a gun, you should have to have some kind of mandatory training. And Constable Steve's response was, well, I, I don't agree with putting some kind of mandate or restriction on a constitutional right. Sure. Sure. But why not, if, you, if you're going to go that route, why not make it mandatory in high school, right? Everybody's got to go through this safety training and education, and therefore everybody will have this requisite training to exercise that constitutional right thereafter. What do you think of that? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You know, I've shared something with you in the past about, uh, you know, knives. Uh, we all or many of us have a block in our kitchen with knives and you don't hear too often about children running into people's homes and grabbing the knives and wielding them and, you know, hurting other people. Uh, and that's because we teach our children how to use knives at a pretty young age, you know, when it's safe to do so and they respect them and they don't do that. So I think the same thing would apply to anything that's dangerous, whether it's chemicals under your kitchen cabinet or, um, you know, a gun safely locked in your bedroom in a safe. And if for some reason they you know inadvertently got their hands on it they would come and tell you and not touch it yeah well strong proponents for firearm safety training and education we encourage everybody to get out there and do so if you somebody who is getting into firearms go ahead and do do that russ you got something to say why don't you go ahead and pull yourself up well, I think um, one of the important distinctions in most cases is um, with, with the whole knife scenario is uh, most people see knives as a tool, not a weapon. I use a knife to cut open a package or to spread peanut butter and jelly and occasionally fluff mm. um, <laughs> or, or maybe even chocolate Nutella if I'm feeling adventurous. I wouldn't bother using it as a weapon because it. It's a terrible weapon. Right, it really right. is. Uh, well, it could be a good weapon in certain situations, but you, you raise an excellent point there. Well, so could a uh, hammer. Uh, so could a hammer, absolutely. <laughs> but that mm -hmm. the people perceive it as a tool. That's really an excellent yeah. point, Russ. Yeah. Because uh, 
Perhaps the fact that people see firearms on TV in these movies and glorified violence, right? Or when they see them on the news, how often is it publicized that somebody did something positive with a firearm? Like Jack Wilson saved the day. Right. You don't, you don't hear it as often as I think you should. And it's not that it's not happening. You know, you see the statistics. I think that the lowest projected statistic was 60,000 defensive gun uses a year in this country. CDC and their study mentioned between half a million and three million defensive gun uses. Wow. a year in this country. Uh, so perhaps uh, getting that safety training education at a young age, understanding that it is a tool and it is not an offensive weapon uh, in all contexts, but would maybe change things for the better. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You know, uh, it's uh, something that we really need to focus on as a nation. Obviously, there's some things that could change and be better. And, and obviously, education would be a, a big piece of that. Uh, it just makes sense. Change the perspective. It seems like the more you know, the better you have that understanding. So that's that's an excellent point, point, Russ. Thanks for bringing that up. For those of us just tuning in, you're listening to Mike G in the morning with the Law Matters, only on Fox News Radio, WFYL. So aside from the Second Amendment, there is a lot going on with respect to this impeachment trial. How many of us are sick of this? Raise your hand. I'm sure there's a lot of people raising, raising their hand. hand. Everybody right now, in the yeah. studio is I, raising I, I their hand. hand. <laughs> Can I put both hands up? And both. Everybody in the, the studio is. I'm in the air yeah. like you don't care. Yeah. I, I bet you Snowflake isn't sick of it, right? Snowflake's loving every last minute. This is Sammy, and I'm raising both my feet right now. <laughs> <laughs> Sammy's not sick of it. Sammy loves it. But I'm Get sure a here, lot Sammy. of our listeners are, are, are totally sick of this. And I don't think that the Democrats are doing any favors because what we've seen in this trial so far is a, a whole lot more of the same, don't you think? Uh, they're bringing up a lot of the same points and I don't think we're going to hear anything new to the point where people are like, oh my goodness, that happened? Are we serious? This completely changes the story because they've been talking about smoking guns since before this man was elected, right? So that's what it comes down to. Since before this man was even elected, they're talking about all the skeletons that are going to come out of the closet and then when he was elected before he was inaugurated, oh, you know, we're going to take him down immediately. And when you come out there with that position from the outset, you make it very difficult for people to trust you. And I think that's the problem that a lot of Americans are having today is they have a hard time trusting anything that these people say when they laid their cards out on the table from the very start. Uh, they had all different things that were going to break him down, right? First, it was the Russians. They were going to have the Mueller report. And then when it came down to this new level, there were all different reasons for which they were going to impeach him anyhow, right? <laughs> They're talking about obstruction, collusion, and then they had quid pro quo. And they ultimately landed on things other than that even. So I think the American people are having a very hard time buying what they're selling. Is that what you're seeing, Chris? Yeah, it's interesting talking to folks out there. It just seems to be, uh, you know, an, an emotional reaction on the other side. You know, as people have said, he's uh, such a bad, scary man. And they seem to, you know, uh, feel that that's enough to impeach a president, um, even though that's not the case. But they might feel that way. So, you know, it's unfortunate. We need to really just focus on the facts as a nation and come together and work together um, and, and move past this. And, you know, one of the things I was thinking about, Mike, too, is how much money are we spending on this? How much taxpayer oh. money is going into this right now and how many other things are not happening because of the amount of time and energy and effort um, being put towards this this effort with very little facts and no high crimes, as far as I can see. Yeah, you know, I mean, people were upset with the amount of money they spent on the Mueller report as well, right? Yeah, and we point. got past that, nothing to show for it, and now we're moving on to this. Uh, they just keep on spending and spending. Like, the politicians have nothing else to do, right? There's no real problems that could be fixed right now. But on Trump's end, from, from what he does have control of, uh, it 
seems like certain things are, are doing pretty well, especially with respect to the economy, right? Economy is yeah. doing, doing well. I think what it might come down to is the fact that they know that they cannot beat him at the ballot box. It is just not going to happen. Right. And if he makes it there, uh, like Evan said, it's not just going to be a win. It's going to be an absolute landslide. It's going to be a blowout. Russ, you had something? Uh, yeah, I, I was wondering if they actually accused him of any crime at this point, any kind of high, cra- high crime or uh, misdemeanor, because... To me, and I, I know what they accused him of, in, at least in the articles, it's uh, obstruction of Congress, which isn't an actual crime, and abuse of power, which has no benchmark to my knowledge. All right. Yeah. 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 Just, uh, sort of like, actually do anything. Let's just make it up. Well, uh, that's that's an excellent point. And it's a point that a lot of great legal minds have raised. And frankly, uh, President Trump's legal President Trump's legal team is saying the, the exact same thing. Like, what are we dealing with here? It essentially seems like uh, they're preparing for something similar to a motion to dismiss or a motion for summary judgment based on what you're presenting. You, you don't have any sort of solid legal theory here anyhow. So even if everything you're saying is true, then it doesn't meet legal muster. And I think we're going to see that argument. Absolutely. So that's a good point, Russ. But if the fact is that from the outset, they knew we want to impeach this man and we're going to find a reason to do so. That's the bottom line. All right. We want to impeach him. We know he's no good. He's no, we know it when we see it, right? We know somebody who should be impeached when we see him. But what they're doing is they're setting a, a very dangerous precedent here. Because this is one of the most uh, partisan and political charades I've ever seen. And if they can get away with doing this to this president, what makes the other side think that it's not going to happen if one of them gets elected to office? That's what really concerns me. Mm-hmm. It, will every president for the rest of time be impeached? Now, maybe the Republicans will back down as they're known to do every so often, right? right every right. now and again, <laughs> <laughs> Republicans are known to not play by the same rules as the Democrats. Uh, they mm-hmm. play the gen- They always want to play Marcus or Queensberry. I think that's what, that's what, uh, set Trump aside is that you know, everybody wants to play with kid gloves uh, for some reason. They, they hold themselves to this different set of rules than the other side. Uh, but Trump kind of took the gloves off in his campaign and we saw something different. And ultimately, that may be why he won. But uh, if if this is the new standard, then I don't see how you don't find something to impeach every president from now on. Right. Yeah, it's a pretty low bar to set. You know, again, going back to that um, emotional state of mind, I I think, unfortunately, people don't like him, you know, uh, and it's really not about that. I mean, what is he doing for us? Look at the facts, you know, look at the economy, look at the jobs reports. Um, It just doesn't make a lot of sense that they would go after him so aggressively with such uh, uh, limited factual basis for, you know, crimes, as we were just discussing a moment ago. It's just just a waste of time and, and money at this point, it seems like. Could you not take any president and say that in some form or fashion, they abused their power, quote unquote, right? Made some kind of argument or contention that they abused their power in some form or fashion. Sure, I would think uh, so. You take any president, you, you scrutinize everything they did. And then you talk about obstruction of Congress. I mean, really just protecting himself, right? right? Really just trying to to not participate and fuel his own impeachment. Ah, oh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to tie you up for that. But if if you can do that, you scrutinize each and everything that, that a president does. And he's got the help. They've got the help of everybody, right? Not only the media, right? All the Democrats, some of the Republicans. I mean, the guy's been under 
attack from the very start. So we'll keep an eye on that still unfolding. But it's uh, really, like I said, it's a political charade because we know what's going to happen in the end. We know that he's not going to be removed from office and they're going to be stuck with the cold, hard reality that they don't have a single solitary soul. Right. Who can step up to him when it comes to the election. It's just not going to happen. Who are they going to throw up there? Michael Bloomberg, right? Joe Biden. Joe Biden's going to be President Trump. He looks like he doesn't know where he is half the time these days. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. that's a good point. He was actually in my hometown a few months back, and he thought he was in Vermont. <laughs> <laughs> you ever see that a band like hey, you're on stage? Oh, we right, love right. you, New York. Hey, you're yeah. in Jersey, pal. <laughs> <Right. Yeah. laughs> uh, well, and and I think one of the the troubling things is that when we're talking about the the Biden corruption, the Biden scandal, he did come out there and say, you know, we weren't going to give aid until they removed that prosecutor who's going after my son. Period. That's right. a fact. Yeah. And for Trump trying to uncover or or at least uh, saying that, you know, you ought to take a look at something that was true and was the epitome of corruption. Yeah. That's not going to cause problems for Biden down the line. I find that very hard to believe. Now, Chris, for the last few minutes, uh, getting out of impeachment, I'm sure people are pulling their hair out of their head while they're on the road today. But I want to talk to you a little bit about your next interview. Hopefully, we're going to have uh, the person call on in within the next few weeks. But you're doing some pretty interesting investigative stuff, Chris. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, thanks, Mike. Uh, again, thanks for having me back in. Uh, great to be here at uh, WFYL. The new studio looks amazing, by the way. Um, but yeah, I, I've been doing some things. As you know, I have a few things going on and something that I'm um, working on right now. Uh, I'm sure many of uh, your listeners out there have um, been, uh, folks have maybe tried to scam them before. I'm sure some folks listening right now, you've probably had somebody hit you up on Facebook or Instagram or social media claiming to be someone, uh, maybe having interest in you or looking for some type of assistance. Uh, I would imagine your listeners are smart enough not to fall for those things, but unfortunately these things do happen. Uh, I've had this happen to me multiple times and a little while ago I decided to try to take a strategic approach to actually speaking with one of these individuals and I'll give you the situation a little bit. Just recently, someone reached out to me through Instagram. Uh, it was a young, attractive female. Um, yeah, I mean, this happens to me all the time, of course, because, you know, most, <laughs> most, most young, attractive females are interested in balding, you know, semi-overweight, you know, middle-aged guy. So, you know, I was like, yeah, this is real, of course. <laughs> However, uh, you know, you know, it's just all joking aside, it was pretty uh, apparent to me that this was some type of scam. Uh, this individual was sending me pictures pretending to be a young female who took an interest in me and needed some help. Uh, I went on for a few days and I let it go. And then eventually I was waiting for the, the hook, you know, what was going to happen. And eventually this individual asked me for some help through providing uh, gift cards uh, to help them purchase yeah. some needed items. So now what I did is I tried to use a little psychology and I said, listen, you know, I want to ask you a question. Uh, and I'm pretty sure you're not going to talk to me after I ask you this question. And I kind of let it drag out a little bit, you know, on purpose just to try to build some suspense. Um, and I eventually basically just openly said, listen, you know, I do some investigative reporting. Uh, you're clearly trying to scam me. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to judge you here. I just want to hopefully talk to you openly and find out from your side of the fence why you're doing this. And, uh, 
you know, um, give me some insight into your world, you know, and I, I'd have to read it. I have to go back and show it to you. But uh, long story short, the individual decided to continue to speak with me and I built a relationship with this person there in Nigeria. I was speaking to them on the phone on the way over to the stu studio tonight and I have an interview set up tomorrow uh, with this person and hopefully we can have uh, maybe a live call in the, in the show if it works out as long as they stay with me. But, you know, it's interesting, you know, learning about this person and their perspective uh, and why they're doing this and uh, look forward to sharing more with you. And if you have any questions, Mike, feel free. Yeah. So, yeah. so this person uh, came out they said yes we, i do scam people this is what i do for a living yeah you know country well yes the individual uh lives uh in nigeria um he's 28 years old uh it wasn't a young good-looking girl well <laughs> um i'm still hoping you know? <laughs> um but yeah he lives over there i actually did a facetime call with him and he was uh, live streaming with me uh in nigeria i saw some cattle in the background and and he wow. showed me his home and his apartment he lives in which is small you know in his defense he's gone through some very difficult times uh he had a, a wife who had a child who didn't make it full term and passed away as my understanding and uh, then uh, they went to probably the divorce. Up, but could be uh, yeah, yeah yeah i mean he's, he's telling <laughs> doesn't me doesn't have honest. a great track record for right honesty, yeah Chris. yeah that's true <laughs> um you know he's uh, hopefully he's been i will see what Did he ask you for money after that because that would be great <laughs> yeah there's been uh, he has an interest in uh you know trying to come here to the u.s which obviously i'm not promising him anything i told him there's nothing i can promise him but i'll look into some things you know as he continues to talk to me but um yeah, so he, this is what he's told me anyway, that he's doing this to get by and to support himself and, uh, you know, to survive. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's quite intriguing to, to kind of delve into that world a little bit. It's interesting that somebody actually spoke with you because usually, you know, you call somebody out on that and, and that's the end of that. But Definitely. I want our listeners to be aware that if you get calls from the quote unquote IRS or whatever these agencies, they're coming to arrest you. You have a past due tax bill and the IRS these days only accepts Walmart gift cards. So get on <laughs> over to Walmart, right. buy gift cards and stuff. Please do not do that. The IRS does not contact you by telephone. Uh, you see videos on the internet of them calling police stations, not being aware of where they're calling and threatening to come arrest these people and things of that nature. When I was a young lawyer, I worked at a firm, an older gentleman walked in through the door. He was a client of ours and he was sweating from head to toe, breathing very heavy, crying hysterically. He comes over to my desk and he said, Mike, I just got a call from the IRS. Uh, they said that I have a past due bill and they're coming right now to arrest me. I said, sit down. I'm going to get you a glass of water. And uh, my boss heard this going on in the background and he had probably heard this one too many times and mm -hmm. he was busy as all hack and said, uh, it's an effing scam. I don't have time for this S word. <laughs> <laughs> a little brash over there in New Jersey. But I sat the guy down. I explained to him the IRS does not call you by telephone and threaten to arrest you. Uh, do not participate and, and provide money to these people. So please, please. Another thing that they'll do is they'll pretend that they're a grandchild calling from jail and the people will think that, oh, well, he had all of the information. What they'll do is they'll call to say, hi, grandma. And then the grandma will say, oh, is that you, Alex? And say, yeah, it's me. I'm in jail. I need you to wire me money right now. And the grandma psychologically will think, well, he knew that I was his grandma and uh, he knew Alex. No, no, no. 
He didn't tell you, Alex. You told him, Alex. Right. So please be very, very careful with these scams. Uh, but that's about all the time we have for today. Philly Chris, thank you so much for joining us. I hope everybody has a blessed weekend. Keep an eye on impeachment and keep an eye on your Second Amendment rights. Stay tuned in for We the People, The Constitution Matters, Pastor David Whitney, Professor Phil Duffy. I'll be joining as the legal analysts. Take care. Have a great weekend. God bless, folks. <laughs>